Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. What up, gangsta? Yo, what up, G? Wait, sorry. Let me try that again. Howdy, church planner. I was doing the wrong <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Why, hi there. Dear Dr. McGee, I have now been on the Bible bus for seven years. <laughs> yeah, so what do we... Oh, this is Lucky 25. You said 25. If, we weren't mature, <laughs> if we weren't mature by now, we weren't ever going to be mature. Dude, this is like our... What do you call this? The 25th anniversary. Isn't there like a fancy name for that? Like the brass anniversary or the bronze? You know, my anniversary is next week, and I wouldn't have a clue what you call it. We've actually never celebrated our anniversary. 14 years next week. I remember when I got married, they're like, oh, you know, like uh, your first anniversary, you know, it, it's paper. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right, man. I'm going to get my wife paper. You're yeah, like, it's hey, origami. It's an origami anniversary. Dude, I don't care what it was. No matter what I gave my wife made out of paper, it was not going to go well unless that paper was money. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. She wasn't like that. But no, man, I remember thinking, well, that's kind of lame. And I'm looking like the second year is like wood. And I think the third one was like yarn and pipe cleaners. And then like, I'm like, dude, it doesn't get good till you've been married like 10 years. Hey, I just want to know, like, when's the vacuum cleaner anniversary? Because <laughs> That's the first I'm month. My wife. <laughs> hey, that's the first month of marriage, man. <laughs> you don't get her a vacuum. You're screwed. No, she's she's actually said that for like birthdays and holidays. She's like, don't you dare get me anything I need. <laughs> it's all about what she wants on those days. But seriously, though, we don't we don't do anything for our anniversary. I'm going to be gone next week. I'm going to Vegas, baby. Without yeah, her, what you, what you doing for your anniversary? For I my anniversary. It. Yeah, tell us about what you're doing there. It's pretty exciting. Well, what I like to tell people is uh, we've been married for 14 years. Seven of them have been really good years. <laughs> you guess which seven? Hey, man, I, I there was an elder. Is it just when funny I served, to me? All right, never mind. 
scratch that whole line. Hey, there was an elder at uh, Martin Lloyd Jones's church, a guy named John Edels, Jim of a of an old guy. He was uh, married, I think, for like fifty nine years. He was ancient, and he or sixty. It was their sixtieth anniversary. And he winks at me and says, you know, I want to encourage you. It's a long way to go, but the first 59 years were the hardest. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, man. That's great. I love how uh, Joey Roper actually reached out to us this week and said, can you guys quit wasting time at the beginning and just get right into it? You know, I made the mistake of saying, hey, 7.5 minutes into it, okay, let's get to our topic. And we're going to be continuing our topic today, which is how do I build a core team? Now, we talked last session about, uh, you can see Joey Roper's like cattle prod me. You see how I just went straight into it? <laughs> so we talked last week Hey, Joey, about- I hate to say it. If I can't do the fun stuff at the beginning, I'm just not doing the podcast. That's all there is to it. Hey, Joey, back off, man. It's our podcast. I know you're oh, wait, in Germany wait. and life's harder over there. And Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Uh, Joey's our only listener. We better not make it. No, 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 no. Before we get into our topic, man, I earlier this week, I emailed you because for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? I know Brandon Brooks wrote us a review on uh, on iTunes for the podcast because he, uh, he called in for the free book. Yeah, he won a book. Then. Yeah, he, he gets one of the free books. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to actually go read it. I hadn't read it yet because it had been like, a, I don't know, a week or so. And, um, and I go on there, and we've got like 16 reviews on there. And I start reading them, and some of them are absolutely hilarious. Like, I don't know who wrote the one. And, you know, you can pretty much make up whatever name you want. So someone wrote it by Dragon Rapido. And I was <laughs> dying when I saw that. I'm hoping that's Hector Mora just because... <laughs> on Facebook, I I said, "How fast is your dragon?" And he replies back, "I can't say it. I can't say it." Oh, it's and if you haven't heard that episode, I don't know what number it is. You just have to go back and listen to it to figure out what we're talking about. But, dude, some of these are classic. Like someone wrote, you know how you can put like a title for it, right? Yeah. So someone wrote Jerry Barry and Jimmy plus one, <laughs> which is. Obviously, a reference to the fact that we were like, we've only got three listeners, which is yeah, we uh, it's not that, true. That was by the way, no, we're, it's not true at all. We actually have quite a few listeners now. It's growing, and if you want to, we have I so mean, many listeners, not, I had to change our service because it was costing me too much money in bandwidth transfer. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then when you went on, I remember we were talking. You're like, dude, look at all the people now, you know. So if you're listening, you were here from the beginning, Jerry, our first listener. Hey, way to go, Jerry. Jerry's probably dead by now. We haven't heard from Jerry in a long time. Or did we make Jerry up? I can't remember. I don't, I don't even know if remember. Jerry's real. Oh no, no, Jerry was. Uh, wasn't it like our our uh, worship leader dude from Refuge? Oh yeah, it was. It was yeah. yeah. So, okay, you know, it, it's pretty cool, you know, just looking down, uh, at one of them. Um, what was the one that, yeah, yeah, that guy was definitely listening. Hey, if you get a chance, go on there and check it out. Um, they're pretty funny. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Ryan Roberts. What about Ryan Roberts one? I can't say it. Really? (laughs) Yeah, already. I say all the, I say all the risky stuff on here. Come on. All right, I'll quote part of it because I don't have any problem with it. When I finally get the balls to plant a church, this will be seen as a catalytic and foundational in the rearview mirror. Yeah, baby. I can't believe you said that, Pete. I 
told you, man. My problem is I find. Never mind. Let's let's so let's just let's just tally ho. Tally ho. All right, pip pip. Here we go. All right, guys. So welcome back to the show. And we did not do our introduction, by the way. Which introduction? I'm Peyton Jones. Oh wait. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Wait wait. Here we Come go. Come on, let's do it. <clears throat> back up. Back up. Howdy, church planner. This is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for episode 25. Seven minutes in. Now let's go. Dude, hey, that's we blew. That, no, that's how we, we can do it. We just we, we we do all of our beginning stuff before, then we'll do the introduction, and then we go right into the meat and potatoes. Dude, I'm telling you, twenty our twenty-fifth episode and we screwed it up. <laughs> totally screwed it up. But we're not re-recording right, this one, hopefully. No, we're not. I hey. Keep rolling on, man. No, no, uh, no editing. So, guys, here's the deal. We uh, hit last probably the most important topic uh, that people, uh, you know, want to know about is how do I build my core team. So, backing up to last week, episode 24, we talked about the fact, hey, God builds your core team, and we talked about the three ways that you can find in the scripture, particularly in the book of Acts, where God builds people's core teams. Now, He'll use you to recruit. He will uh, sovereignly act through what I call the quickening. And then lastly, uh, you should be raising people up as you go, as you've already been ministered. I mean, Paul preferred to grow his own church planters, right? He had like wherever he went, he planted a little garden. Whatever church he planted uh, became a church planting church. So he grew church planters in his churches. And uh, somebody introduced me yesterday to a ministry called T4T, which is with uh, a guy in China who was into rapid multiplication. The way he did it was as soon as somebody got saved, um, he began to train them up uh, for ministry. And and I, I would say that that's actually what the Holy Spirit's been trying to do in all of us. But, you know, our system and at times our lack of vision gets in the way. Yeah, I think that's, um, <clears throat> I think that's the way that it should be. You know, if we talked about this a little bit last week, if we actually looked at people as soon as they got converted as great, man, I can't wait to see how God is going to use you to reach other people. Not just, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in your life. I mean, cause that's usually where we leave it at, right? I can't wait to see what God's going to do in your life. You've pretty much been a wreck. And so I can't wait to see you get fixed. Absolutely. But so, to say, you know, I can't wait to see what God's going to, how he's going to use you, how, how he's going to use you to reach other people. I mean. That's the ticket, exactly. Baby. That's the ticket. Exactly, and and to give them opportunity, and that's what's brilliant about a church plant. You know, if you if you've got a church where it's like a big performance and a big show, then you know you leave it to the professionals. But if your church is the kind of church where um, it's participatory, then people are always getting to be used by God. And I would say that, you know, it's, it's another reason why I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of spectator church, church as an audience where, you know, I like people to meet not in rows, but in circles because I'm constantly training and throwing people in the deep end. I think that's one of the most helpful things. So you should have been growing your own church planners and discipling people to use their gifts, to change the world, to uh, spread the kingdom. So. So here's the deal, right? We want to talk, you know, on today's podcast about how, okay, if God builds my team, 
how, how, do, what do I do? Like, you know, if God's working behind the scenes, what am I supposed to be doing on the ground? So, um, how do I recruit? And once I start recruiting, what do I do with them? How do I form or forge a core team? And that's important. So, um, you know, uh, you know, we we're talking about your anniversary. Now, a lot of guys forget their anniversary. So, you know, I hate to tell guys, you know, hey, here's I three remember other it. dates. I just don't do anything for it, you know. Hey, well, here's here's three other dates to to remember on your calendar, right? So don't forget them. They're really important. And remembering these dates, by the way, they're not going to save your marriage, but they're probably going to save your church plant. And the reason that I give three dates is because for the development of your core team, um, you, you need to have a time you first come together and you share the vision. Then there needs to be like what I call a gestation period where the core team develops. And then there's the public uh, launch. And bonding is essential to your, 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 your core team building. You need to bond. And so uh, time is the secret sauce to make that happen. So the great thing when you're reading the book of Acts is that in the first century, the missionary journeys of Paul, you know, they, they weren't just hopping on an airplane and, you know, putting their, uh, their snooze on and waking up at the airport and going, oh, hey, you know, that, that, w- that wasn't that bad of a flight. These guys had weeks to months together where they were bonding uh, in between periods of mission. So uh, there, was, there was all that time. If you think about Barnabas coming and recruiting Paul and taking him to Antioch, uh, there was all this time that they traveled together and got to know each other. And I, and I would say that the key to building a core team is forging relationship with, with, with people. You need to be a team. You need to be forged into a team. And so you can imagine these guys, right? They're, they're traveling by ship, horse, uh, foot. And what the Holy Spirit's doing in the book of Acts, he's given Paul and Barnabas bags of time, uh, to forge a tight bond. And so you can imagine they talked, prayed, laughed, ate together, farted, played tricks on each other at night, and probably practiced evangelism on people along the way, just like we would, right? I, I hope you're farting in your in your core team meetings. That's important. And let me tell you, passing gas is an important part of life. But here's here's um, I, I was sharing this with you earlier. We we interviewed Hugh Halter at a, a conference. I don't know what was that a month, two months ago, whatever it was. And um, one of the things that he talked about in his interview with you was he just went through this time where he really wanted to get to know Jesus more. So one of the things that he decided to do was he bought a brand new Bible, one that he didn't have marked Mm. in at all, so he could just go back and reread almost like with fresh eyes. And I remembered hearing him say that, and I was like, man, that's a great idea, because that's really what I want. I I really want to get to know Jesus better. And so I went on Amazon and you know bought a new Bible. 20 bucks, right? Had it sent out. And so I started going through it. And I told you this. I'm like, okay, I just finished off the the Gospels again. You know, what should I go to next? And I asked you that. And you said, you know, of course, your typical answer, you got to go to Acts. So, you know, I've been reading Acts. And I remembered I even texted you. I think it was last night. I'm like, or it was two nights ago, whatever it was. Like, Acts is like just an adrenaline rush. Yeah. But one of the things that really... I mean, there's there's been a lot of things that really stand out to me as I'm going through it. One is they're always going in teams, right? It's not the one-man show at all. No. Barnabas getting Paul, and, and even when um, – I think it was Timothy, right? Barnabas wanted to bring Timothy, and Paul's like, no, forget no. it. 
Yeah, he wanted to bring Mark. The, okay, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. And um, and so, but they still, when they split off and went their own ways, they still went in a team, right? It was never Paul yeah. just going off by himself. All right, fine, I'll go do it by myself. And I mean, it just to me, it underscored how important team is in doing church. And and again, you know, I'm relatively new to the whole church planning uh, phenomenon, if you will, the whole church planning world. Uh, but I do know that in several denominations, it's very much like, you know, you got to be so protective of your vision of church and, you know, don't let someone else steal it. And so it's just you. And, and I mean, you do need to be protective of your vision. God's given you that vision, you that call. But it's almost like, you know, you just need to be the leader, the supreme ruler, and get yourself a bunch of minions and, you know, go do church. And I, I don't know. That's just not what I'm seeing. No. No, it's, um, you know, you, you can minister out of insecurity. I mean, Paul said that there were some that preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And you're always going to have that, you know. But uh, when you're legitimately on the road for mission, um, that stuff kind of takes a back seat. If you're really doing it for the right reason, then that insecurity starts to kind of uh kind of go by the wayside. I remember I th- I think I told you last week that uh I told my team, "Hey, if you guys want this church, take it, man. I don't give a rip. This is God's church plant. He'll sort you out. I I, I don't care, you know. In fact, I remember telling him and and I did this in Refuge Long Beach. I'm like, "Hey, I'm only going to be here for a short time, guys. I you know, I'm not built for the long term. My uh, I've got a shelf life as an apostolic leader. I come, I start it up, and then I go. So for me, one of the most freeing things about being a serial church planner is it's never about me. It's purely about mission. So I don't get those insecurities that, that people that, you know, are kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm here and I need to be established and respected and people need to follow me. And I just don't even approach ministry like that at all. You know, I, I really, I mean, I think what I spend most of my time doing is having people understand how human I am and kind of like Paul, where he says, you know, I'll boast in my weakness because when I got to uh, refuge long beach, um, people had heard about the stuff in Europe. And of course I was a missionary. Uh, my sitting church would get reports and there was kind of like this little legend that had developed. And the first thing I did is tell him, Hey, I'm, I'm debunking all that because if you guys start thinking I'm the big wambooey, then you're not going to step up and be used by God. And, and that's what I love to do. The same thing that Paul did, which is travel, uh, meet new people, raise them up to be doing things that they never ever dream that they would do except, except when they first got saved. And we all remember when we first got saved, we had crazy ideas of what we wanted God to do. And we're like, we, we didn't have anyone smacking us down back then. And I often ask people, go back to like when you're first saved, what was it you wanted to do? And I think in a church planning situation, if you're leading people in the way that Paul did, you're giving them vision, you're inspiring them, and you're allowing them wiggle room. You know, you're allowing them to to kind of breathe and to spread their wings a bit. And you're letting them jump off the branch and take risks. Because all, all too often, you know, we got saved. We had crazy ideas. And someone told us, oh, we can never get the money for that. Or, oh, you know, you need to wait till you're a little bit more mature for that. Or, you know, whatever it was. And, and people always want to smack you down when you get crazy ideas. And part of what's great about a core team is that's the time 
to allow people to start getting crazy. Mm. But we're well, ahead know, of ourselves. It, let, let me just say this. You, you know, we've talked about this before that the two things that drive a pastor every time he's up in front of the, the congregation is ego and impact. And when ego starts to get bigger than the impact, that's when there's a problem. Yeah, so, I, I think it's it's hap- it's a good idea, Pete, for us to to just kind of redefine that. If if you haven't heard us on the podcast before, Pete and I, the, the, the we we were talking. I was talking with Chris Langham, the guy who runs uh, through the word dot org, and he was saying, you know, it's so hard for me to get guys to record for through the word dot org, and he's looking for top notch Bible teachers, but these guys are busy. And, uh, and I said, well, look, you know, there's always a balance between ego and impact. If it's really big, um, part of a minister, you know, his ego says, you know, I'd really like to, to do that because it's kind of a big deal, but that, that might be the flesh side, but the spirit side says, Hey, you know, that, that I could have a great impact. And so as ministers, we're always dealing with both aspects. Our calling is to impact, um, but our wrestle is with our ego. And so, you know, Pete and I always talk about the scale. They, it's always on the scale. Every time you walk into the pulpit, um, the ego is wrestling to get dominance over your desire to impact for the kingdom. And you, you just can't let that, you know, can't let ego win. You gotta, you gotta let impact rule. Right. And see what my, my point in that is that there's, you know, a couple of things that are going on. One is that whole ego impact thing, right? And, and ego does play a role. But the other thing that's that's coming into um, to play a part when it comes to a church plant is a lot of guys are looking the same thing that happens with uh, small business owners when they go out and start up their mm. own business. They're looking to get a job, so they're looking for the church to eventually be their 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 job, their career. You know, yeah. pay, pay me. So. When you've got like this, this mindset of, you know, I'm starting this church and eventually, you know, it's going to have a couple hundred people at it. It's going to be able to pay me a good salary. And basically, I'm going to have the dream job I've always wanted. Uh, you know, it's. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that ties into another area, which is, you know, we're talking about ego is a lot of people end up in ministry as a way to validate themselves and, you know, kind of, Hey, I'm a, I, you know, I'm in, I'm a minister and, you know, it's a way of getting an attaboy and a pat on the back and, Hey, I do this for God. And if you need validation, you know, go join a soccer team or, you know, st- start pottery and, and put your stuff, you know, in a gallery, but, um, get validation from places like that. Go, go play a video game and, you know, enter a tournament, but, don't go into ministry trying to get validation from people. The reality is that uh, if you're building a core team, look, you're up close and personal. It's meant to be relaxed. It's meant to be relational. So you're going to be weird if you're looking at these people like people to validate you. And so um, it, it has to – everything has to come from a love for Jesus and a love for people, including God's people and the lost. And people will sense that. 
they will sense that and they will be inspired. They'll note something different coming off of you, something genuine, something Christ-like. And that's what we're wanting in a core team for people to realize is it's not about us. You may have been to church where it's about building a guy's empire or you've been at church and it lost its way, or maybe they come from a great church, but they haven't been able to be used. This is the time now where you as the leader particularly are are being so Christ-like that it's not about you. It's about God and it's about them. And they will feel that. That will be so different. If it's not, if it's, if it's you trying to validate yourself, they will feel that. Trust me. And that will, that will undermine you big time. So you got to well, work these things out. Here's a question I got for you. And I know you've got a, a specific direction you want to go with this talk, but it's, I know everybody's wondering, what were those three dates? We'll get back to them. Don't worry. Well, but here's my question. Um, how do you feel about women on the core team? Women are essential on the core team. Um, my, my view on a core team is that, uh, you know, God doesn't call individuals to ministry. He calls couples. And I know there's some people like, no, 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 you know, my wife, blah, blah, blah. She's not called. I'm just saying, like, here's the deal. You know, when the scripture says if a man is to be an elder, uh, he must be given a hospitality. That's an all in. That includes your whole household. Um, in all of the, the stipulations about, all the stipulations about uh, elders and deacons, you've uh, you've got their wives also have qualifications. So um, that right there, biblically, is enough for me to say. And and I'm kind of radical on this. I make the wives. I don't make them, but I you know, all I gotta do is open the door, and they're they're rushing in. But. I, I tell people when they're candidates for leadership, look, your wife is a part of this too. Um, because either A, he's going to go home and tell his wife stuff. She's going to go, what? You know, or, or B, you know, if, it, if it's a men's club, if you're trying to run a church as a men's club, um, where it's only dudes talking, dudes are stupid. You know how it works in, in, in your household, man. When it comes to your kids, your wife's almost always right about your kids. Um, so, you know, you need a woman's perspective. So the way it works with, hmm. with our, uh, our, our, our leadership team, which is not to be confused with a core team, our leadership team, we have, um, all the deacons and elders we get together and deacons are servants, elder, you know, and they're kind of like our interns and elders are the pastors, but, by saying pastors, um, I'm, I'm morphing into what people understand, but the reality is that would be our evangelists, our, uh, apostolic leaders, our prophetic leaders, our shepherds and teachers. And so there's a core team. There's like a team ministry, ministry team. And we have our wives there simply because, um, we believe that God has called us as couples. Now the elders, um, you know, the, the elder team is different. Like we govern, but, um, but, but I have everybody on that team for a reason. And so when it comes to core teams as well, um, with really a core team is the group of people who are going to plant with you. And they're a group of Christians who, understand the need. They're not all leadership material. They're not, not all of them are going to be leadership, but they've been crazy enough to strap themselves, uh, you know, to the time bomb that's ticking, you know, and, and, and run into, you know, wherever you're going and, 
you know, take that ultimate risk and make those sacrifices. And that's, that's what you're doing. And so your core team, um, women on the core team, that's, it's extremely important. Case in point, Di Hankey. Um, he was, uh, the co-founder of New Breed in the UK. He's now working extensively with Axe 29. Um, he was, uh, he planted in a very hard area. It, it would be the equivalent of a slum. They call them council estates there. But uh, he planted in a place called Trevethan, a church called Hill City Church, and he did not see any fruit for the longest time. And one day his wife, when he was just dejected and feeling like a failure and there's barely, you know, they were getting people in from the community and almost everybody's on the dole there. And uh, but he was mean? feeling like it means like on the, you know, uh, on welfare. Oh, OK. And he ended up. um his wife's like, Hey, can I, can I share my testimony? He's like, sure. You know? And, uh, she shared her testimony and she shared all about how she had been depressed and, uh, her depression before she came to Christ had led her to be hospitalized. Um, on and on. She shares her testimony. There's not a dry eye in the house, man. Um, Holy spirit just drops a bomb three, uh, young girls. And by young, I mean, twenties, you know, uh, young moms with kids, three, households got saved that day. Um, and Dai was like, he was humbled. He was like, you know, here I was, cause Dai is a gifted preacher and, a, and an incredible evangelist, hmm. nothing. Uh, but his wife goes up there, boom. And so, um, John Wesley understood this. John Wesley actually had, uh, women preachers, women evangelists. A lot of people don't know that about Methodist history, but the spirit was moving women. And there is no forbidding in the scripture of women to evangelize. So people shouldn't have a hang up on that, but he employed, uh, women as Methodist preachers, man. And they were powerful and they saw souls saved and they went out there preaching the gospel. And, uh, Luther did the same, you know, he took the nuns that were in the, in the convents and he, he took the monks, he married them off and they became ministry couples and off they went, you know, huh. starting churches. So, um, he figured, Hey, why not? These, these are two people. So he encouraged the monasteries and the convents to get together, have little dance parties. <laughs> <laughs> that would have never happened at any of the schools I went to. Absolutely. Dancing leads to back rubs. We had no dancing allowed. Oh, that's right. So, okay, getting back to those three dates. These are the three dates. Write this down with your hot little hand. Number one, the first date to mark on your calendar to save your church plant, not your marriage, is the initial core team vision meeting. That's a mouthful, but it's the initial core team vision meeting. Everything starts when you throw a date on the calendar and you say, I'm going to get these fine folk together that we talked about last podcast, and I'm going to put them on the same room and I'm going to share my vision with them. That is known as the core team vision meeting. You're actually sharing vision and you're attempting the start of a core team. Now, you don't have to get them all in the same room. Um, you can meet them one on one. Um, you can, uh, you know, uh, Meet them in groups of, you know, and I actually recommend that. We'll get to that. But the second date is the commitment cutoff. At a certain point, you're going to need to know uh, who's coming with me, like Jerry Maguire. You know, you're shaking the bag with the fish in it going, hey, I'm coming. Who's coming? And maybe only the secretary is going to join you in the goldfish. But at a certain point, you need to know that, right? Because you've got a startup coming. You need to know, you know, who's in, who's out, right? And then number three is your public launch. That's when it's kind of like the day that you tell 
all the lost people in, in that area to come. In other words, you're not going to be open for business. So, uh, until that date, like you want to make sure that you're, you're ready to handle what's coming. So, um, like Charlie Marquez, right? Um, my co-leader over at, uh, Refuge Long Beach, he has now, we've been, uh, working with Charlie, uh, for a while now. And, and Charlie is now launched out in Whittier and, um, they just this past Sunday night went into the building. And every, he had to keep telling people, this isn't my launch. You know, this is just us getting into the building because we've outgrown a living room. But we need this time to bond. We need this time to figure out what in the heck, you know, how we're going to do this is a new building. You definitely want to go in the building and launch it uh, on your first day in. So he was, you know, having to kind of tell people, look, you know, it's not a public launch, but we're we're in a new place. And so uh, hey, here's a question for you using that as not an example, but it actually made me think about it. So is the core team tithing to the church plant already? Absolutely. By your core team commitment cutoff, by that second date, you're actually telling them, hey, if you're coming with us, this is what we need. Um, I need you to be here. You know, it's it's kind of like if if you play on a soccer team, right? I don't know why I'm talking about soccer so much. Um, I don't play soccer. I don't even like soccer. But <laughs> If, Name a sport you do like, Peyton. Uh, ice hockey. That's... And the Super Bowl. <laughs> you only and like, ultimate well, fighting. You only like ice hockey for the same reason that I like ice hockey. The fights. It's true. It is true. But uh, I can also get tickets almost any time I want to uh, a couple different local games, Kings and the Ducks. So what? How? It's, no, I, I know people. Dude. Why don't you hook me up? There's always a good fight at every game. You know how I feel about fighting. Would they just like me? I can give you tickets. I'm your date. <laughs> you heard it on the uh, Church Planner podcast. <laughs> now you know one of Pete's struggles. So here's no, the deal. <laughs> no, not a struggle. Not a struggle. I've got plenty. That's not one of them. My lady doth protest too much, methinks. To quote Shakespeare. So here's, here's the deal. And that's, that's all in jest, but here's the deal. Um, so go into your core team vision meeting, right? Oh, uh, soccer team. Sorry. <laughs> Got way off there. Uh, soccer team. Um, you, you, you don't just like, you cannot join a soccer team and just not show up. Right. And I, I tell people, look, man, plant a church is like join a soccer team. You go to a big giant audience church and you don't show up. Nobody gives a rip. You don't come to a, a church plant, you know, cause you're, you're tired or you're this, you know, you can imagine just, uh, guys, I didn't come to a soccer game cause I was tired and you, you would never do that. Right. right. And so right. I, I tell my people, I look, you know, I, if you're with us, you're with, I, this is going to sound weird, but I make people feel like if they're on the core team, man, it is the greatest privilege. I don't beg people. I tell, I give them the blood, sweat and tears, what I call the eat my flesh and drink my blood speech. You've seen me do it. In fact, when Charlie and I were at Refuge Long Beach, I came in to a very uh, small core team and I inherited my sending church's core team. And for that reason, I want to take it because I'm like, I go in there and I'm like, look, some of you are here because it's closer to your house. Some of you are here because you heard Bill on the radio and you like his teaching. Some of you are here and I'm like, none of you are going to be here in a year. So I'm just, I'm going to say a bunch of things that hopefully offend you or make you realize this is not going to be what you think it is. And you remember all those John Wayne speeches I gave. And I, I call them my eat my flesh, drink my blood speech. You know, I honestly didn't find them that bad though. Cause I remember... You but even they were telling me, 
<laughs> well, I, see, I remember you telling like the conversations that you had with Charlie, and Charlie's like freaking out. You know, maybe you should tone it back. There's not going to be anyone left. After and I like remember five thinking, or six weeks, Charlie goes, he goes, dude, maybe, maybe, you know, you should tone those down a bit. And it was right at the time. It, it actually was the right timing. To, to but I honestly, down. I was like, I didn't think they were that bad. I'm like, okay, it's going to be hard. Whoop-dee-doo, whatever. Uh, maybe I just didn't believe you. I don't know. But I didn't think they were as bad as you make them sound now. Well, we were approaching our core team commitment cutoff. So so that was the reason. And, no, granted, and Jesus, none of those people stuck around. <laughs> but, yeah, well, it, exactly. But but here's the deal is that, you know, Jesus gave that speech when he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He was doing exactly that. And a lot of church planners don't realize that it's more important to have a group of people who understand exactly what they're getting into than it is to have a bunch of numbers. Trust me, uh, more people can hurt you if they're not the right people. And excuse me. So, um, Jesus could have had, you know, he could have, he could have boasted, I got 500 disciples, <laughs> you know, cause he, you know, talks about at the end, you know, he appeared to mourn five, but he picked 12. He picked 12 guys and he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to work these dudes. I'm going to train them. I'm going to push them. I'm going to squeeze them. I'm going to stretch them. I'm going to grade them. They're going to be sifted like wheat. Uh, they're, you know, they're going to scatter. I'm, I'm going to put them, I'm going to put them through their courses. Uh, but it's going to make them into the missionaries that they need to be. And so for me personally, I, I, I approach church planning, uh, core teams kind of like boot camp. Like it's tough. And, but when you have church planted, you're a soldier, man. And uh, that's just how I do it. And, and people like that. You know, we're in a culture where people join CrossFit, people join, uh, insanity workouts. They, you know, people like to feel that they've accomplished something. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And and so I'm always talking about the vision. I'm always talking about reaching people. I'm always inspiring people about what it's going to, and I'm always saying things like, hey, you know, there's going to come a time where when this church grows, people are going to say, man, I was there back when we were, in the open air at Bixby Park or, and I would give this fit, you know, I can remember when we first started serving breakfast. I can remember when the lesbian did this or, you know, and, and people, people will envy that. And I tell them, look, people will, will hear these stories, you know, um, like I know our, some you know, of our I, leaders. I got I, I to, I got to cut you off right there. Cause what you just reminded me of is, um, I was watching the documentary on the, I think it was the 1980 uh, hockey team that got the gold medal. Uh, they did the movie, the I think, what was it, Miracle or something like that? Um, because the, the U.S. hockey team, I mean, you know, hockey is not really big in the U.S. And in Russia, where it's, you know, frozen a good 90% of the time, <laughs> hockey's a big deal over there. Plus, they got all this state money that they spend on, on you know, uh, training their athletes. And um, so the documentary was uh, interviewing the uh, the head coach, and I, I don't remember his name, Herb or something like that. And he was saying that as he was uh, training the new team, right, because he basically had to take a bunch of players from a bunch of different colleges and put them together on one team. So he had to get all these guys who'd been part of other teams, the other uh, systems that were in place, the other hierarchies that were in place and he had to get them all to gel and he also had to get them all to focus on beating the russians which is like you know next to impossible mm -hmm. so as he's he's drilling into these guys 
he just kept saying over and over again, you know, when they would watch the Russians, he'd go, man, somebody's going to beat these guys. Look how mm. cocky these guys are. Someone's going to come along and beat them. Yeah. And he would say stuff like that. And then I guess their, their uh, captain for the Russian team had like this really big nose and, you know, he's like, look, he looks like Abbott from Abbott and Costello or something like that. I mean, it was just like he was he was doing what you're talking about. He was setting the vision. Yeah. And he wasn't necessarily saying you guys are going to be the ones that are going to beat him because they well, weren't ready yet to believe that. He was, absolutely. you know, someone's going to do this. Someone's going to do this. You know, almost like someone's going to reach Long Beach. Someone's going to reach Long Beach. So and you keep saying it so much. But think think about the Apostle Paul. You mentioned about John Mark, right? Imagine John Mark gets burnt. You know, he's like, oh, I, I can't take it anymore. You know, I could have been somebody, Johnny. Could have been a contender. And he drops out, right? Um, you you can bet that when Paul starts recruiting people from then on, he does not want to repeat. That was not a happy time for Paul. Yeah. So Paul is telling him. Uh, kind of like what we, I think we quoted last week, you know, the, uh, I can only promise you blood, sweat and tears. And he's giving them that because he wants them to know, but Hey, it's going to be worth it. It's like when a guy wants to go through boot camp. Um, and I'm not saying like it's hell in our core team. Core team is one of the most awesome times. What people often say about the core team, uh, during those times that you meet together before your launch, they say, man, that I haven't experienced that or felt that stuff since uh when I first became a Christian. And I mean what what's been cool for us is like, you know, some of our people, I know I've wrecked them for life. They can never go back to church as usual or business as usual. Um you know, there there was a time where a, a demon possessed chick came <laughs> came to our leaders meeting and she manifested Right in the middle of our leaders meeting. She, she really? was a really needy girl. Yeah. And, and had psych issues. So everyone's like, Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's mental illness. Well, just a reminder, I'm a psych nurse and, uh, I know the difference. Um, I've been, I've worked on a very dangerous, uh, lockup unit, the busiest, uh, psych hospital in the, in the state of California. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was really, really interesting because you know, our, our people had seen mental illness. They had never seen a demoniac manifest. And I mean, we were, you know, here we, here we are. And, and, and I look at Charlie, like Charlie looks at me like, is this what I think it is? Right. When she started saying so it was before she manifested. And I kind of gave Charlie a, a half smile because it, there was nothing funny about it, but, but it's just how I deal with stuff. I, I end up laughing about stuff that is kind of like, Oh crap. And, and, you know, we've, we've had five exorcisms in two years, um, in Long Beach. But when you see that, when you see that stuff, and I remember like at one what point, did you do? Like, <laughs> started casting it out, you know, started, started talking to it. I mean, there's, that's a whole nother podcast, which I know we that should. is, you can't, you can't open up this rabbit hole and not at well, least let me look I mean, down. at one point, at one point she gets up to go to the bathroom and, and they run. Like they will sometimes they'll turn at you after they've been growling like an animal and doing the whole, you know, the, the goo coming out and the eyes rolling back in the scanners type thing and, um, and, and speaking in a man's voice and they'll, then they'll suddenly become back to normal. 
and they'll say, oh, I'm fine, you know, and uh, what I was just joking or or whatever it is. And so she said, oh, I'm going to vomit. And she actually started to vomit. Well, sometimes when a demon comes out, um, they, they vomit and they do dry heaves. And I know that sounds really strange to people. But it happens. And so she's, she's going into the ladies room and my team doesn't know what I'm, I'm, I'm the only one following her because I know exactly what's happening. And so she's, she's running. Yeah. She's not running like, you know, like she was running. It was, it was the, uh, the demonia, you know, the, where the were you at, was, by the way? I like can't tell you, I actually can't tell you where we're at. Were you <laughs> at a business or were you at someone's home? We were at a church. Oh, okay. All right. And, uh, and, and so we, uh, they go to the bathroom and, uh, she's over the, I, I just follow her straight into the women's room, man. And she's retching into the, into the toilet and I'm still over top of her rebuking it because, you know, well, then our team like goes, oh, maybe we should follow him in there. And so they did. And, uh, you know, and for yeah, them, don't leave it was the pastor like, alone with the girl in, in the women's bathroom. Yeah. Whoa. That's probably a good idea. Well, yeah, exactly. But none of them had had experience. So they had never been in an exorcism. So, but, but my point is like, this is not fun and games. This is not about making a name for a church. This is not about having a cool website. This is not about, you know, packing a couple hundred. This is about making war with the enemy, taking the enemy's captives back for the kingdom. Like this is life and death. And so, you know, as the planner, if you've done this before and you've been frontline, you know, what's at stake. You're the only one who has that vision. And so you're looking at this core team and you're, you're thinking like, this is how I'm thinking. You know, I've done this a, a number of times now. So for me, I'm always thinking when I look at a room, you guys, and I don't know if you remember when I came to line, I said, you guys are going to see things that you've only read about up till now. And because I knew that, you know, I, I've done this enough times now to where if you're truly frontline, you are going to see things that are, you think I only read about that in the book. I didn't know that stuff still happened. Um, you know, we've, we've seen supernatural things, miracles, all that. And, and so when you're working with your core team, to me, I think I feel sorry for people who don't come with us. I know and not everybody's called to be PC about it, but, but the reality is I think when you come on this church plant, you are in for an adventure and it is going to be so worth it. You are going to, you are going to have experiences that you are never going to forget. And it is, it is, you are going to at times go back to that and think, all right, you know what? I, I forgot that. I lost perspective. Right, man. This is, this is a war. We, you know, we're, this is actually, that's where it's at. And so for me, I'm addicted to frontline for that reason. And part of my joy is taking a core team, a group of Christians that, you know, the, the most exciting thing they've ever done is teach a Sunday school class and, and see them do stuff. Like I said, that they never saw themselves doing. Hmm. And so we're, we're deviating, but, but going back, I, I, I just want to break down these three nights if we can. Um, so, so the first night, right. Um, you remember we talked about, you know, you, you might send a, a little email out. Hey guys, you know, you tell them what you want to, you know, Hey, we're thinking of planting a church or, you know, I've got something important to, to tell you about. And so you, you, you recruit them and you're going to, um, you're just trying to get them in a room to tell them what you're talking about doing. So that night you gather up all the people, you put a date on the calendar, maybe you, uh, you know, you, you, uh, 
you pick like uh, a number of people um, that you're meeting with beforehand. Maybe you want to meet with, uh, you know, four or five couples at a time. So, you know, it's comfortable in your living room and you start cycling through the people that, that you know and love and people who know you. Remember, we talked about building a, a prayer support team. So this is kind of like the next step. So uh, you get everyone in a room and you share your crazy idea. You invite them to a house, a Denny's, whatever. It doesn't matter because on the first night, the point is you're trying to gather people you think might be interested in church planning. And, and what I did in pillars, I kind of, I, I just threw a meeting. I picked one night, put it on a calendar, didn't chicken out, stuck there. And that's a key to these dates. You don't move these dates. Hmm. Once they're on the calendar, you can't back out. You're committed to it. So you throw that night and you're always going to want to bump it back. You're always going to want to chicken out. And, oh, you know, here we go. You know, you don't, it's kind of like Charlie said, Charlie had, had said something awesome because Charlie used to be a, a Navy SEAL tech. And he said, you know, we have a saying that, uh, launches are, you know, he works in aerospace now. He said, uh, we have a saying that launches are optional, uh, landings are not. And so once this thing launches, man, it's like, whoa, so you always want to put the launch off. So here's the deal. Um, you want to get everybody there just to share the vision one night. If they resonate with what you're saying, they'll be back the next week. So you don't need to, you don't need any strings attached. You don't want them to sign their name and blood on the dotted line. At the end of the night, you want them to go away without any talk of commitment, right? Instead, you say, um, remember we shared like the three points, you know, um, this, that, that, and this. And then you say, if you liked what you heard, I'll see you next week. Right. Some will come, some won't, but from there on you meet weekly. Right. And I would say you meet anywhere from six months to 12 months. And that's because, like I said, time is the secret sauce for bonding. And so what I did in pillars, I just on that first night, I threw a meeting, had a bunch of people, about half of them stayed, half of them didn't. Um, I painted a broad breaststroke. I just said, look, you know, God's working in the Starbucks. I believe that he's working ahead of us and we're along for the ride. I don't know exactly what we're going to do. I, here's the, the blank canvas. I, I painted a few broad breaststrokes. I think God's bringing a group of people together that will paint in the detail and we'll have a picture more as we go. And, uh, you know, if you turn up and say, Hey, I want to plant a church and leave it at that. Everybody will yawn and fall asleep because that they don't have a vision for that most likely. So you're going to have to spell it out a little bit more, uh, for them. And if, if you're the leader, they're going to want to know where you're leading and where they're going to be following you to. So, you know, don't be like the leader whose performance review read his coworkers will follow him anywhere, but simply out of morbid curiosity. Hmm. And, and we'll have to talk in, 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 in the upcoming weeks about your vision statement and how do you make a vision statement? How do you put an elevator pitch together? How do you communicate that vision? How do you make sure that that vision is transferable? That's for another, that's its own podcast, but they will come. And if they like what you've played to them, they're going to take their lighters out and spark them up and hold their cell phones, cell phones out and wave them around and say encore. And then you just say, Hey, well, we'll do this again. And so every night, um, and it has to be a night, by the way, um, it cannot be a Sunday morning. Some people think that you take a core team and you meet on Sunday mornings. You can't do that. And here's why. Um, they have churches already and they don't, 
really during that time where you're supposed to be instilling vision into them, they can't be expected to leave this established church where they see it all to go come with you uh, to your living room where you're making all these big promises and saying, hey, we're going to do this and the, you're going to see this. You need to meet in the night so that they don't have to choose. By meeting on a Sunday morning, you're forcing them to choose right away. Mm-hmm. Leave their church, uh, leave their uh, youth ministry that their kids are in, leave the Sunday school that they love um, and feel that their kids are safe in, um, leave all the things that they love about their church. I mean, they're still going there after all. And don't assume that the only people that are going to come with you are people that are unhappy with their church. That's a big mistake. Some people might be really happy with their church, but that's not why they're coming. And I don't know with if you. that's necessarily who you want. I don't think exactly. I think we've probably even talked about that. I mean, yep. you don't really want the people who are upset because <laughs> they're just going to be upset at you too. You're not going to do it right either, yeah. as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And so during that time, you share the vision and every night you just choose to go through something. I, I always suggest, and I, you know, Charlie went through, uh, gospel centered life, which just lays a foundation of grace, which is an excellent idea. Um, but I always tell people, you know, the next step, if you're going to do something like that, great. But at some point you might want to go through the book of Titus because Titus is the church planning book of the new Testament and people will find that super, super helpful. Uh, and, and at one point, what I'd like to do again, future pocket coming up, like these are all in a sequential order. I will probably, uh, during one of the podcasts, Pete and I'll talk through Titus and why is it a church planning book? And, and what are you pulling out of this for your core team? Why should this be something that your core team pays attention to and what aspects and what is Paul actually saying in Titus that that's relevant to, to any core team? So, you know, um, one of the things that, that I would also suggest is eat together. Um, you know, make it fun, make it an event every night, do a curry night, an Indian night, do a Mexican night, do an Italian night, do a Chinese food night or an Asian night, do something every week. Let it be a potluck, um, you know, taco night, whatever it is, but come together, have a meal. You know, learn to just be people together to bond because don't just, oh, we'll throw a Bible study and all those nights. You know, they get that. But what you're actually looking to do, this is a time to bond and to get to know each other. What what usually happens during this time after this first uh, initial vision meeting is as they come back week by week before the core commitment cutoff, which is the second date, usually what happens is people's lives fall apart. And I, and I've learned to kind of say to people, welcome to the core team. I'm sorry about what's about to happen to you. I, I, every time I hear you say that, it just makes me cringe. Yeah. It, it, you know, because there's a couple reasons, right? Um, I remember hearing John Piper years ago, um, but before he was as popular as he was nowadays, um, RC Sproul had kind of blasted him out, um, in his tape of the month club back in the nineties. And then I was signed up to it back then. And, um, and, and there was some brilliant, uh, teaching that John, but everything that dude teaches is pretty brilliant. But, um, John Piper had, uh, he had said, you know, that his little congregation, they, they were very small back then. And he said, Almost all of us have gone through personal tragedy, he says, but the amazing thing is it's brought us together 
Um, we have gotten involved in each other's lives in ways that we never had before. And, you know, uh, for all of us, uh, on our core team, when I, when I first planted pillar, I can remember the bottom of our lives all fell out. Um, the, the worst things, what Job says, you know, what I dreaded most has now come upon me. Each of us had that story. Um, uh, James and Naomi who were with us, uh, they had come from a mission on the military base that folded up and they came and I recruited them and, um, and, and they had a miscarriage right away. You know, mm-hmm. um, my fellow elder, his, uh, his daughter was, was suddenly pregnant, you know, and that was like his baby, you know, and she was pregnant out of, out of marriage and they didn't know if the couple was going to get together. And then, uh, you know, it just all through Andrew and I found out during that time that we would never have children from our bodies, you know, um, just all the things that were like a kick in the gut, you know, someone smashing our teeth and whacking us upside the head, burying us in a deep hole. I mean, it just all those feelings and we bonded and, you know, the spirits in that, I mean, some, in some ways you can think, well, maybe the enemy's targeting. I'm sure that when you kind of draw that line in the sand and tell Satan, Hey, you know what, this is the line and we're crossing over it. Um, you know, those are fighting words and you become a target. We are in a war. Ephesians six, um, Paul's saying, if you live like this, just <laughs> get ready for the blow that's coming. You know, if you, if you do what I told you in chapter four or five, uh, chapter six is necessary. You know, the devil's coming in for a blow, stand, put on the form of God. We're in a war. Paul uses war terminology. And so in a, in a lot of what he talks about, there's witness. So frontline witness, evangelism, mission, <laughs> you're going to get hit. But I believe also that God in his sovereignty also has a plan during that time to bond your team, to take you deeper in the things of, of the spirit and to, to just forge you on the anvil of suffering and hardship into uh, somebody who doesn't just say they believe, but somebody who really, you know, uh, really believes. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, by the way, um, something I should have said earlier, but totally slipped my mind. The, uh, the principle about eating together and sharing a meal. Um, it's, it's interesting when I hear you say that because that's a principle in the business world that we use a lot. Like there was a, a book written called never eat alone or never eat lunch alone again or something like that. I don't remember who the author is, but his, uh, his point in the book was that, you know, this is like some of the greatest opportunity to bond with someone on a more personal level. And, um, there's only so much that you can do when you're in a business scenario, which is kind of like your, your core team meeting, right? I mean, it's, it's business. It's casting vision. Yeah. It is worship. It absolutely. I mean, you're 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 learning together. You're you are bonding together. But there is a total difference when it's like we're just sitting around a table chatting, kind of like how at you know Refuge Long Beach at this point we have breakfast Sunday yeah. mornings every time we're 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 having a meal together and and the reason why is because you're sharing your life you know Paul says exactly. we did not just share the gospel but our very lives and and so you're opening up you're getting if if I want to get to know 
uh, a woman and date her, I don't text her. I don't just, you know, I go to a meal with her. I sit down, I eat with her. Um, that's, that's what we all do. I, I married into a, a Middle Eastern family. My wife's half Arabic. You wouldn't know it by looking at her, but, um, her mom's full blood Palestinian. So when, when I get together, like tomorrow's Thanksgiving, right? It's going to be like bedlam there, an absolute nut house. There are so many people, but anytime that family gets together, there's copious amounts of food and they get together a lot. And that is a very Middle Eastern thing. So when Jesus says, you know, if you hear, uh, you know, if anyone hears me knocking, uh, we always forget that the next thing he says is I'll come in and I'll, I'll eat with you. You know, he's not saying like, I'm going to, you know, have a, a cheeseburger in your heart. He's saying it, that to a Middle Eastern person, they're like, they get what that means. He's saying, I really want to spend time with you. Like, I want to, I want you to know me better. And I, I want to become intimate with you. That's, that's what the Middle Eastern culture does. That's how you bond. Hey, and look so, at all of our important conversations. They've been at islands. <laughs> so you know what funny enough one of the one of the reviews said something like uh you know this will make you want to plant a church and probably sit at islands more often <laughs> well, i remember i remember uh brandon brooks told me he goes maybe you guys can get islands to sponsor the podcast islands if you're listening please sponsor us that'd be great that'd be awesome Hey, and don't forget, if you got a Winnebago or know someone who can't get rid of one, um, please hit us on the podcast with it. We definitely need that Winnebago for Church Planner Magazine. And some extra small ninja costumes. Yes, indeed. But, you know, here's the deal. So so you say, well, what does that meaning look like, right? Like, what what would I do, you know? what? Uh, well... You know, you, you want to have coffee, you want to have spice bread on the first night. You're not going to do a meal. Um, but you, your, uh, your living room is about to become a vortex designed to, to draw people into a whole new world. So, uh, you can call it the doors deforming the portal to Narnia. You can, you can call it the first step on the road leading away from the Shire. Uh, you could call it the first visit to the Moss Eisley spaceport if you want, man, with Obi-Wan Kenobi. But either way, a magical world is about to open for your core team. Um, there's a life beyond the wardrobe. And, you know, Mr. Tumnus isn't going to show up with his little fond legs running around. But, um, you know, it's kind of like in uh, Lord of the Rings, right? The new adventure unfolding down the road from Frodo's front door, he says, and whither then I cannot say. Um, it, it's like... This is an exciting time. And when they decide to come, you want to share this vision and you want, you know, you know, it's like the Hobbit, right? That movie's just about to come out again. It's like when Gandalf the Grey turns up and he tells, you know, Bilbo, you know, he tells all the, the dwarfs, he says, Hey, this guy's a, a, a burglar. And he's like, I am, you know, like, what, what do you mean? And, and that, what I love about is Tolkien, people don't realize that almost everything Tolkien writes, he's, kind of doing an allegory. That's all of us. That's all of our story that, you know, God calls Abraham or Abram, um, Abram, the father who can't have kids. His name means father. That was his, you know, earth given name, but God gives him Abraham as a name. He changes it. He puts the, the, you know, the breath, uh, into it. And, um, which is part of his name, Yahweh. And, He changes his name, but it it literally means father of nation. So here's his father. He can't have kids. And Romans 5 says, but God calls the things that are not as if they were. 
right? And Paul uses that, and he uses that as an illustration of us. God does that with all of us. He calls us all uh, something that we're not. You know, hey, Peter, your name is Simon, but I'll call you Peter. So that's what's going to happen. And so, you you know, like we've talked about a lot, you want to tell them, guys, you're in for an adventure. You want to, like, big it up that way because that is what's going to happen. Even if you've never done it before, that's what's coming. And then the next thing you have to do, um, and this can be very difficult, especially if you had lots of cups of coffee, you need to shut up and let them talk. In fact, you mm. only want to share your vision for about 10 minutes. Wesley used to say that his young Methodist preacher to say, well, like, what do we do? Like, how do we preach to people? He'd say, talk about God and talk about 10 minutes. <laughs> but you, you know, here you've got these unsuspecting victims in front of you lined up and you, you're going to be tempted to storm blast them with the pent-up passion that's been building up inside of you for months. And you just and let's face it, if you're a pastor, you usually can't shut up anyway. It, exactly. It, 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 specimen A, <laughs> right here. But uh, Pete, we screwed around too much at the beginning of the podcast. I got to fit it in, man. Joey was right. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, I've never met a pastor yet who could actually deliver something in 10 minutes. So I think Absolutely. it's a great idea. We'll see if someone can actually do it. You have to. And, and you know, actually, to be honest, on this night, you want them to talk. People yeah. in small group settings, a lot of you probably don't realize this. Maybe you're only used to preaching in the pulpit. People come away. I tell my guys this when I'm training them. Teach a shorter amount of time when you're in a small group. Because people come away feeling like the night was awesome when they got to talk. They don't realize that's why. But people come away going, wow, tonight was so incredible. And it's always nights where they dominate it. I tease things out and I, I, you know, I can guide discussion. I've, I've kind of developed that skill now. I used to suck at it for, for obvious reasons Pete just mentioned. But those are the nights where people just go, Oh my gosh, that was my, I'm so glad I came. That was so mind blowing is because they talked. And so you talk inspiringly enough for those first 10 minutes, maybe 15 if you want to stretch it, then shut up. The meeting should go for an hour. You let them talk the rest of the 45 minutes and you just well, spin them off each other. It's, it's funny because as you know, I lead a lot of uh, marketing groups and, you know, I'm brought in to do speaking and training on, on marketing. And I personally prefer to do more interactive type talks. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just did one recently and there were, uh, I don't know, 60, 70, 80, uh, bookstore, um, managers. And so, you know, first thing I did when I get up there, I'm like, look, I prefer to make this a lot more interactive. So if you're expecting me to stand up here and, and train you for the next hour and a half, um, you know, you're going to miss the boat here. So I'm going to be talking to you about concepts that are going to be new and foreign to you. And I want you to stop and ask a question. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, let's get into it. And every time I've done that at every event, everyone loves it. Because one, it's not just what I think is important. It's what they think is important. So like yeah. something that I thought would, would have been something that everyone understood and knew, and they didn't. So they were able to then say, well, wait a second, well, what about this? And it's that yeah, interaction, absolutely. that dialogue, and now they've got ownership in it. No one's going to sit and listen to you for an hour and a half. I could talk for an hour and a half about church planning. I could talk for eight hours about church planning, but you know, no one's going to be excited. But when they have a question, 
um, like you said, you know, and you actually, you'll find that you, uh, springboard off of what they said and, and you end up saying stuff, uh, that's so relevant and, you know, kind of brilliant. It just, I don't know, like probably you the same. You're like, no, I couldn't have prepared something to say that that was that cool. That was spontaneous. And that was something that, that really fed off of their question. And that was, that was an amazing point. Um, well, and it's almost like even this podcast here where, you know, you've got usually exactly. you, you've got an idea of where you want to go with it. But this is a conversation we've never had before. Yeah. So it's like we're putting together and forming these ideas and for the first time ever. And, 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 you know, another way that I really see that that this podcast benefit people, but it's the concept, right, that I want people to understand. Yeah. You know, we're we're putting it on tape, so to speak. We're recording this. Because, you know, what if you could go back and you could hear Barnabas and Paul as they're yeah. on their journey? I mean, imagine those nights as they're traveling, if they could record the journey, what they had done that day, hmm. you know, uh, the things that they had seen, what they had learned. Could you imagine how powerful those would be? I mean, we yeah. have those in letter format, but it's not the same. Well, and, and that was the thing. Like recently I preached a message out of, uh, Colossians, the very end. The, the, the place where people get kind of bored, you know, where Paul's like, Hey, I sent this to you, do you, and this and that. That's where I live, man. Those are my favorite passages. Um, that's what Church Zero came off of. I think I said that last week, but cha-ching. But, you know, it, those are the, those are the parts that fire me up and, and, and I, pay great attention to that because it is, it's the closest thing to a conversation about how they're doing mission. And so it's Paul's little, Oh, by the way, and he's moving things strategically around. Um, there's a lot of moving parts in those closing remarks and you're seeing some of Paul's strategy. And so that's why I get really excited. That's where church zero came from. And so, you know, anyways, here's the golden rule about that first night. You want to keep it relaxed you want to keep it informal and you want to keep it personal. And that will all happen as you interact. You got coffee and you got some like pumpkin bread or whatever it is. Um, and then what you want to do is like what Pete just said, you want to get to question and answer time. It's the most fruitful time and it'll actually kick off your discussion. So when you're done talking, you don't just look at them and say, go. You, you say, you know, Hey, so, you know, what thoughts come up, you know, when you hear that, don't say, are there any questions? Because when you do that, everyone's like, no, you know, you just say, so, you know, what do you guys think about that? You know, it's an open-ended question. It's not a yes or no. It's not, do you have any questions? Um, you, you just ask them, what do you think? And you just shut up. Don't and be you uncomfortable get to see where with they're the at. Science. You get to see where their buy-in level is. Yes. Cause if absolutely. they go, well, I think you're crazy, then. That person's probably not going to be in. Absolutely. And so, you know, when when you get them there at the beginning, what you're going to say is you're going to begin by telling them not sound anything and refer back to a couple podcasts ago where we talked about this. But you're telling them, look, I've carefully selected you from a list of people that I knew would want to track with me and keep abreast of any new venture that God's calling me to. And I think you guys may be a part of this. And of course you're going to include them. You're going to give those three options, pray for us and, uh, you know, um, give financially and even come with us. 
And the most important thing for them to know up front is minimum you're asking for them to pray. So you're already telling them you're included in this no matter what, right? No one's going to say, I ain't going to pray for you. So you're, you're taking that as a given. You're assuming their involvement and commitment to you just by being there. Does that make sense? I dig it. Yeah. As a marketer, Pete's like, I'm all in, baby. <laughs> but, but at the, at the end of that, you know, you're going to tell them, Hey, you know, you give them those options like we talked about before. And, um, you know, you, there's no pressure that night. You don't want there to be pressure. You will have your little card, your little sign up there. You'll have a vision statement for them to take away and pray with. And, uh, lastly, um, you know, if it goes an hour to an hour and a half, that's kind of what you're aiming for. But lastly, you thank them for coming and then let them get the heck out of there saying, talk about what a nut you are. Well, it sounds like a one, two, three process. Everyone should be starting a church. Well, you know, it, exactly. You don't need God at all to do that. No, but that's just the first night. Now, you know, our podcast is getting on here and, uh, we're going to talk in the next upcoming weeks. We're going to finish this discussion. Um, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but, um, don't assume that night that they're going to get the vision. That's why you need to give them something. And we'll talk about that in upcoming weeks. That's where the vision statement comes in. But uh, you're going to, they may want to talk to you. They might want to circle back to you, get together for coffee. They might come to you afterwards and say, you know, I have a lot of questions I didn't feel comfortable asking tonight. This is going to be a process. Okay. I remember after leaving my, my first church plant four years, five years after I planted it and, uh, they, they, this one lady came up to me and said, you know, after four years, now that you're gone, I think I finally understand what in the heck you were doing. And, and I laughed, you know, because, you know, that made me smile. Like, you know, uh, some people need it spelled out or they need to see it over time. So don't think that that night you're so brilliant at vision casting that they're just all going to get it. Some people are going to be confused. Some people are going to need clarification. Some people are going to say like Paul at Mars Hill, what's this babbler talking about? And some will say, we'll hear you again on this matter. And those are going to be the reactions. Others will mock you. <laughs> You'll get all three that Paul, uh, some will heckle you. And uh, that's it, man. So, you know, until you walk out the room with that goldfish in a bag, man, you know, you don't know who's coming with you. But that's in the upcoming weeks. Pete, tell us a little bit about Centralized. I'll just make this really quick. Centralized Conference, S-E-N-T, CentralizedConference.com. It's going to be January 23rd, 24th, 25th in Costa Mesa. We're going to be there, and if you donate a Winnebago, we'll even buy you your ticket. Huh? How about that? We will take you to islands. <laughs> hey. And we might even hire a little friend in a ninja costume to accompany <laughs> now, us. Again, that'll be our kids running around islands. <laughs> That's what we mean by little people. Yeah, yeah. Way to save there, Pete. That was awesome. Well, hey, this has been Pete and Peyton on the Church Planner costume, costume. Ninja costume. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Pete and Peyton on the Church Planner podcast reminding you if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you got to go where no one's going and do what nobody's doing. And I have to pee. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, 
leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.